Welcome to Communion and Shalom. In this podcast, we are exploring how the biblical and historic Christian faith can engage sexuality, ethnicity, culture, and our local communities as we pursue the flourishing of God's kingdom. Our goal is to engage these topics charitably and with nuance. Hello, everybody. TJ and I are here together to answer, try to answer the question, what are the strengths and limits of the SIDES framework? By the SIDES framework, mm-hmm. we're talking about what well, we've done a previous episode on of side A, B, Y, X, though we might get into that, that there's some uh, other, other, not only ways that people are thinking about these sides, but even that people are taking that aren't represented by those four letters, those four sides. Mm. TJ, can you share why this has kind of come up and, and what you've seen? Yeah, that has been so enmeshed in this in the side B community and how people are trying to wrestle through these things. Yeah, thank you, David Frank. So in the past year or so, as we've been podcasting and in, as a, I've been engaging more of these conversations, I have increasingly come across people, usually in the side B community, who are saying that the sides language is problematic, that they lament the the sides framework and they focus on its imperfections. I've even recently had one or two friendly acquaintances in the side B community say, like, we need to move to a different way of talking about this. So this conversation might be more for people who are in the side B community or people who are pretty focused on understanding the side B community as a social movement or a social project. So it might seem pedantic to some in a certain way. Yeah. If you're like, what is a B Y X? Yeah, I know. What, what, <laughs> yeah. Then the rest of this episode might be a, a little confusing or just off putting yes. to you, but it's, it's really, yeah, just it's, it's, it takes being in the community of, of Christians who are wrestling with how same sex attraction is addressed. And, and there's, are some really significantly different postures and what that means and, and what sexual ethics that they can roll out with as well. Yeah, so true. And after engaging with these people and hearing some of their arguments, I wanted us to talk about this a little bit. Because I think this is relevant to understanding the theological landscape, essentially, of what's going on and thinking about even social categories, like why are social categories relevant or important, but also how do we handle this critique that's coming from our own community that these language, this language is not sufficient for the reasons for the reasons they have. So if you're not familiar with site ABYX, but you like sociology a little bit, then this episode <laughs> might be interesting to you. That's true. That's true. I think in the end, you'll see that I'm, I'll just lay it out in the beginning. <laughs> I'm, I think that the sides language framework is helpful. I think it's better. I think it's mostly good, basically. Like it's, it's helpful. It helps us accomplish the, the ends of distinguishing and the ends of communal identification and the ends of kind of understanding the theological landscape. I see the, the sides language, the framework as a sufficient, even if it's limited, heuristic device. And that means like a way of, <clears throat> like a preliminary key or preliminary analysis or preliminary category that is embedded in the history of queer Christians, especially in the English speaking world. I think it's mostly helpful, but I want to definitely give a fair, a fair shake, I guess, like something, mm-hmm. a fair, 
possibility to, un, to for us to wrestle with the critiques and us to consider possible real ways forward. We're, I'm planning on going through basically three sections in this episode. I first want to talk about what I understand as the strengths of the sides framework. Then I want to go through what I see as the key critiques of the sides framework. And then I also want to propose some possible alternatives, if that's the goal. And finally, I'm hoping we can talk about it a bit, maybe throughout the episode, but talk about kind of how we're reflecting on some of these points, these topics. So is that okay? Can I go forward? Sounds great. Okay. So these are what I see as the strengths of the sides framework. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, David Frank. But I see the sides framework as relative, a relatively neutral way to talk about theological difference. For example, side A, side B, it's relatively neutral, right? Like, you know, we're not saying... It's not, that's the, the good side, that's the bad side. Yeah, you're right. We're not saying unorthodox. We're not saying the orthodox. We're not saying the firm. We're not saying the biblical. Like, we're not doing that. It's a relatively neutral way, and that, in my opinion, aids for nuance and charitable discussions. So I see that as one strength because it, it reduces animosity, like saying, hey, we're the... We're the we're the heretics, okay. Like not a way to have conversations typically. Even if it's true, not a way to have conversations, you know. I think, and this will be in contrast to a critique that's coming later, I think the side B the sides language points out true points of contention or opposition, like real differences in theological opposition that are there are actually there. Like the real phenomena. People do not agree on this on some of these topics people do not agree who are queer how to live out a faithful life and i think having the sides language actually allows us to distinct make general distinguishments between different perspectives or ways of life a third strength this language as we talked about in our episode on the sides previously it is indigenous to the gay christian queer christian community in english-speaking world right we provided resources go check out our show notes on that episode this is an indigenous discourse. It emerges from us as an attempt to be relatively neutral or fair when there was more connection between side B and side A people. So. An example of where a non-indigenous term mm -hmm. could be something like queer was initially mm -hmm. used pejoratively from out people outside the community to say, oh, look at those yeah. queer people. And then mm -hmm. later the community then kind of claimed it and took it on and used it. But it, it's that's right. It's less less indigenous than the side AB was folks at the, I think it was Gay Christian Network at that time saying, oh, there's yeah. there's some divisions here between the gathering and we need to, how do we talk about that? So, yeah. And it's, it's often helpful. It's a helpful to have a tool to be able to talk about it rather than just pretend it doesn't exist or something like that. I would also say that another strength is, um, I think sides is a simple word in English side sides you could imagine much more complicated words and we'll talk about some options in the later in the episode but i think that's relatively helpful one strength another strength to mention is that the sides language is allows new emergent positions to come forth right like potentially in the future maybe there'll be a side e or a side d you know what i'm saying like there's there's space for more development using the sides language not infinite space but I also don't think there's infinite possible positions on this topic. I think that's another strength. And I think that strength, you know, folks are like, wait, what? There's, again, A, B, Y, X. This is confusing. What's, what? Because too often we do want to just simplify it. Be like, oh, what I believe is right. And then those are the wrong things. 
and uh-huh. to actually say, oh, what various perspectives are there? Which ones do I find a more alignment with? What do I see mm-hmm. as the strengths of different positions or ways of thinking? And it just, by having a multiplicity instead of the typical polarization or binaries that we fall into, mm-hmm. I think is really helpful. And yeah, that's something right. that did emerge after the initial side AB, which was, you know, kind of this binary that then developed out further. Mm-hmm. Though there's at times where I almost want to think of like, I think there's certain points of difference that are more important than other points of difference. I would agree Different that people <laughs> weigh those differently. I would 100% agree uh, with and, that. And for example, the some people weigh the gay identification labeling thing as uh, just as or maybe even more important than what your sexual morality is regarding same-sex sex. And so that's where people are like, oh, side B is so progressive. And then side <laughs> B people who think that, well, no, the big, the big thing that the progressive move that we're avoiding or something is affirming same-sex yeah yeah i love that thank you express things clearly thank you for that reflection i think you're so right on that we do move beyond the binary by having the sides rather than again good bad <laughs> or progressive conservative or whatever okay let's move on to some critiques one critique i've seen is that This is mostly from people who are critical of the whole conversation, but essentially that we're two sides of the same coin or two sides of the dice because we're not at, like, for example, A and B, we're not actually that different. I have a lot to say on this, but from my perspective, we're very different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And And even (laughs) folks who might say, oh, side A and I I couldn't find it last time I looked, but there was a, what we would call kind of a side X organization that, and I forget the restored hope network. There was somewhere in there and they had an, a, a, a thorough breakdown of the four positions mm-hmm. on sexuality and they made A and B kind of on one half and then the Y and X, but they didn't use A, B, Y, X. They used different words to kind of oh, name okay. those four mm-hmm. different categories, but it, they did line up with the same schema. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Anyways, sorry. So the, the, the critique is you think you guys are so different, but you're actually not. Yeah. And then that's obviously, there's a, there's, there's a lot of evaluative judgment and how different we are or not. And there's more to say about that, but I'm going to just move forward mm-hmm. with this. Yeah. Keep rolling through. Yeah. So another critique, and this is mostly from side B people who are very side A friendly. They're kind of on the boundaries between side B and side A. This is what I hear from this most. And sometimes, just for fun, these might be described as side C or a third way type of position where they're trying to bring more of some type of peace between the side A and B camps. So their critique is? Their their critique is that, in fact, having the sides language, sides, quote unquote, is intrinsically too oppositional or like militant against each other. And first, I want to say thank you. I'm glad you brought up side C because... Part of this episode is to expose there are more sides, as you mentioned. But for me, I would say I think the sides are a reasonable level of difference because I, in my opinion, from my side B perspective, there are true oppositions in the sides that are, especially between A and B, that are near to the heart of the Christian life. Like living a, a life of sexual holiness and discipline to God, in my opinion, matters very much. 
just in the same way that how we use wealth, social systems, inclusion, exclusion, all of these things are important to what I understand God wants human beings to do in the world and live in the world. So I would say no to this point. And it's not too oppositional. It's reasonably oppositional. And I know we were trying to hear your critiques kind of on rapid fire, but this one I think is a a big one that in terms of a side ABYX, it's, oh, this side versus this side. What you do with difference is Uh there's two ways to, to do, to find kind of ecumenical nature or like to, to sow peace. One Mm -hmm. is you diminish your differences and sometimes kind of interfaith gatherings will be like, well, we all, everything we believe boils down to the same thing that we should just like love each other. And it Mm -hmm. it just creates this like, the differences aren't that big. Let's just focus on what binds us versus I would say the Jesus way of saying, love your enemy. I don't Mm -hmm. stop calling like the Roman soldiers killing, you know, the Jewish people and the Christian people were in fact enemies, Mm -hmm. but Jesus is calling an enemy love. And I think that the way towards a kind of Christian disposition is following Jesus and trying and trying to become more like him in mm-hmm. his sacrificial love for enemies rather mm-hmm. than saying, Oh no, no, we're not really, we don't really have that difference. We don't really I have that big I... of a difference. <laughs> and it, it's a, I just see this as a, something that happens in a lot of different spheres of our mm-hmm. life, not just in, this kind of small conversation. So that's why I wanted to just jump in there a little bit that that's excellent. Um, it's really hard to hold difference with peace and understanding. And I mean, you know, politics, neighborhood level, families, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, it's something I'm still trying to work on too, of like, there's a, there's a love in clarity and being able to say, no, I actually do disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And we can keep having this conversation in peace and res- with respect rather than being ambiguous. So that's just something I'm personally working on is like being nuanced, but not ambiguous, still being able to clearly express where there might be opposition. Yeah, I I appreciate that. And I think that, as you said, that enemy love is so key to like part, it's a key part of the Christian ethical life or the Christian ethical endeavor. And I think I sometimes wonder people who worry about this, it's too opposition, too militant. If they have just, they, maybe they've seen difference conversations go wrong. Yeah. But, but you have to have that. And it's one of the key planks of Christian ethical life. You need that enemy love in order to be a faithful Christian. And part of that includes yeah. engaging with your ideological opponents. And that's why charity, a hermeneutic of charity is so key. Yeah. It's a hermeneutic of love in interpreting others and engaging conversations. So. Let me move on to next critique. Another one that I've heard at times is by having this language, the sides language, we mask our connections to other LGBT, LGBT plus people because we're kind of, this idea is we're becoming each insular little unit separate from each other. I, I will say this, this depends on a certain assumption on who you consider your most primary belonging of people to be, Right. If you consider your most primary people belonging to be the church and the churches, the, the historic church, the Orthodox church, whatever, you have a different relationship to what this question might mean. Like it puts it puts what your connection to LGBT people plus plus people in a different light, though, for like me, for most of us, we, we see ourselves as belonging to multiple communities. So there's not tension. 
there's tension at times, but I would, I would, I, for me, following the Christian ethic and trying to follow Jesus in this ethic by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the most important, like that's very important, right? I see it as crucially important. And I see other LGBT people who are on that journey as closer to me than side A people, for example, or side Y or side X. Mm -hmm. And if I can roll out the critique a little bit more, it'd be someone saying, like maybe it's on your Twitter description, instead mm -hmm. of saying, I'm a Christian who's who's gay, you're saying, I'm a Christian who is side B. And it's kind of mm -hmm. this insider language that non-Christians who aren't part of this A, B, whatever world now don't have that sense of connection with you intrinsically because of the, the words you're doing. So that, so overemphasizing side A and B is masking the type of connection you'd have. And obviously in, in different conversations, you can use different words, but towards what you're saying, TJ, that, well, how, which, which connections are more important? And, and when, and, that can, I mean, and, and then when, and when, right? Like yeah, on yeah. your Twitter, when you're publicly speaking, if I'm talking with a bunch of non-Christians, I'm not going to introduce myself as, well, I don't, introduce myself of my sexuality generally anyways but if there are some some gay or queer friends or neighbors then mm -hmm. i could make that point of connection yeah so but i wouldn't you're right i wouldn't do it with side a or b and i but i also really sympathize you know like i would not have gone to the a gay christian network gathering or queer christian fellowship but a side b gathering where it was like oh here i have more my connection is not just the fact uh, about you know that I'm gay, same sex attraction or something. Yeah, but it's there. There's more. There's more. It's more robust grouping. Yeah. So I do have a higher connection to that group, and it's only been really through. Well, not only. It's especially been through my involvement in the side B community and the interacting with others who I have mm -hmm. a close affinity with, who are also more connected with LGBTQ spaces that I have been able to get more connected to there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I understand the, it's probably coming from folks who want to see other Christians ramp up that connection and, and continue yeah. to, to break down that division of like, it's the queers versus the Christians and like, we need to strengthen that connection. So mm -hmm. I can be That's sympathetic to That's why they're, they're, yeah. they're afraid of masking these connections. Um, each person We'll just have different roles in different spaces. In yeah, they can. It makes more or less sense at times. I think that's true, because I again, I we're, we're part of both somehow, right? But and and even kind of what I'm jostling around or whatever connects to the another critique that in the side B world we have folks who are we mentioned the side C or who are leaning mm -hmm. towards a side A friendliness. We have people in the side B world who are very involved in maybe like a pride march to a certain degree mm -hmm. and we have people who are very opposed to that so there's there is a variance within these communities and mm -hmm. when when does it break out and say oh that's not side b or is side b that's and complicated even, <laughs> even the confusion of you know side b was specifically side a and b were specifically created to distinguish between same-sex sexual relationships, what yep, you do with them. Yep. Mm -hmm. And now, because of its connection with the larger queer movement, there's the LGBT 
and yeah, the trans conversation. Mm-hmm. The trans conversation is, has not a ton to do with the conversation on what do you do with same-sex sexual relationships. Yeah, so that's right. Even though, we're, as you said, we're united just because of the historical evolution of the larger LGBT plus movement in like English-speaking countries. So yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to say here. I don't want to go over too quickly, but that is a critique of the side's language. Let me move on to the next one. The next one that I've heard is there's variance in side B. And so just having one category can seem too, like it encloses too much. In my opinion, this is not a good critique because I think like side B is a centered set. There's key key principles in the center, which keep us united. And there's people who revolve around that. You can move away. If you would reject those principles that we have right now, you're not side B anymore. But again, some people live on the boundaries and the borders between, and we don't, we don't have a, for better, or for worse right now, we don't have someone who determines who is side B, right? Like we don't have a common creed or common confession on what side B is. It's just the description of a social movement. We're approximately like this. I mean, either so, generally agreed upon, this is what it means. It and, is there, but, it, but we but don't have anyone to judge that. We don't have anyone who can punish them. <laughs> and say you're not like not that TJ is recommending that there is someone to punish it. He's just recommending. I'm not recommending that. I'm just recognizing in the social movement we don't have a a, a judge judgment function that would say you've transgressed too much. You're not part of us. And this so. is at times why people have been like, oh, maybe we need a a position between B and Y. And I'm like, I think that's just side B. You're just uncomfortable with some of the other people in the side B world yeah and the fact that there's disagreements in the side b world doesn't yeah like side b hasn't actually become it is still the umbrella that we're under it's just there's disagreements in the camp Mm -hmm. and it's not i'm not saying i wouldn't i don't want side v people side b is moving to evolve and what i think are better directions because i do but i just don't think the sheer fact that there's variance in a in a social movement means the social movement's category no longer means something because i think side b means something you check out our episode on unity and difference inside b i list what i understand we both list we understand is the key pillars of what side b means as of now so what other critiques have you seen about this sides framework another one this side framework does not have meaning outside of our particular discourse like it's 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 insider language so to speak and this is similar to the next one you could also say jargon but my question is to this critique what words do have meaning outside of particular discourses. All words are discourse bound. Like you don't escape that. That's not a very good critique. Another one, jargon. I would say a lot of words that communities develop themselves start out as jargon, quote unquote, meaning they're not readily accessible to people outside of the group. But a lot of these, some of these words develop over time to enter more mainstream. Can you give I gave an you an example. example. Yeah, this is in Protestant theological discourse. So if you're not a Protestant, this may be new to you. But for example, and if this, I've seen this more in the U.S., but Calvinism and Arminianism, these are two theological positions which talk about multiple things. But one thing is God's foreknowledge, God's how grace works, and how will work, the, the human will work. These are some of the things we're disagreeing on. My, I've usually have found anyone who's kind of theologically minded in the U.S. who's a Protestant. They usually kind of know that this conversation basically, right? So it's become more mainstream, even though originally these were these were small movements being debated in university, like theological universities in Europe. So any 
any word over time can become mainstream. It's possible. So the the critique of jargonness, I think, is not great, even though I get it. For these small communities, you sometimes have to explain the words. But increasingly, I am finding personally in my context, which are kind of academic contexts right now, people are increasingly knowing the terms, right? If you say side B, side A, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I know what that means. But I'm not saying it's necessarily spread down to every church in the U.S. necessarily either. So I don't think this is a great critique. I think I, both of these are not great critiques overall. So, yeah. I have also heard this critique that U.S. schools and other school systems in the world use letter grades to denote relative levels of value, like A, B, C. So the idea is there's a hierarchy. A is better than B. I Okay. <laughs> I'll mention this as a critique. I don't think this is a very strong one either. I mean, what's better? Numbers? One, two, three? That still is hierarchy. I don't... I And the fact that. that there is... Not, it's not just ABC, but also there's a Y and X in there, hopefully breaking yeah, I know. the fact that it's like, we're not, yeah, it's not A through F. Um, yeah, I know. It's not A through <laughs> F. Another question you always have to ask, because I recognize it's easier to critique than create. So what are real alternatives to this side's net framework. And I don't hear side B people who are critical of the framework of the side's framework talk about this as much. So I've kind of prepared a list of what I see as possible ideas. I don't think these are very good necessarily, but they are possible ideas. Should I just go Is it through just them? TJ thinking very thoroughly like, okay, if people don't like the side's framework, maybe I can do uh -huh. the creative work of like, what are, yes. what are alternatives? Before we go to potential alternatives to describing uh -huh. it as... ABYX, et cetera. What are which which of those critiques express concern that you know that you're like, oh that that's something to be concerned about. That's some that there's some wisdom to be gained from that critique. I think masking our for me, masking our connection to other LGBT people is worth thinking about. Um again, I mentioned the oppositional thing. I think there's true oppositions. Other other people don't, so they have a very different judgment on that. I I tend to think that people should learn like if you want to be involved in a conversation you should learn the discourse. That's what that's my that's a pretty basic assumption for me. So I don't think that the the jargon or the jargon is that big that critique. You're, yeah, I'd say that. So the kind of opposite of the like oh that's too oppositional making them as sides. Uh -huh. yeah. The the one you also said is like oh well are, are they really that different? Are they two sides uh -huh. of the same coin? I think it's just important for us to yeah, uh, to be you know not just oh they're critiquing us so we're pushing back but yeah to yeah. be evaluating and saying oh yeah what what's there's some there's some reasonable or understandable points that are kind of fueling this critique that are worth consideration which is why you're partially going down okay well then let's let's think about alternatives so yeah give yeah. us a go what are some of <laughs> what are all the alternatives that you've thought of okay one would be shifting just the word of sides right and I thought if side is seen as too oppositional by some, what are real alternatives? So I thought of a few. Logic, stance, persuasion, conviction, position, perspective. These are all words which I see as broadly, like they're not changing the meaning much. Persuasion but, A, persuasion B. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they're less oppositional, which I think is a poor critique. But that if that's important to you, which I don't know, it's hard for me to understand why it is, but those could be alternatives. Because... 
part of it is I think we could make more oppositional terms, like cadre, like a military unit, which is battling. There could be alternatives that are more, even more oppositional overall. One thing I've heard once, this is on a Life on Side B podcast, was the idea of just removing the sides as an alternative, the sides language. For example, saying I'm a, I'm A or I'm B, I have a, I'm B, which for me doesn't make a full sentence. Like I'm A, like, so what do you think about same-sex sexual ethics? I'm A. I can understand if you say I'm side B or I'm side A. I get that. But I'm A or type, I'm B. Type A, type B, then it sounds like you're talking about blood, I guess. So, and, it, and it's basically, it's the same thing almost as sides. Like type, it's not that different in my opinion. And so. opposite of the, you know, there's those who are trying to decrease the oppositionality to try to bring unity among all Christians who are have queer sexuality, experience same-sex mm-hmm. attraction. And it's trying to, you know, oh, let's decrease opposition, bring up unity. But there's the other critique is that it's actually too neutral. You said that was one of its strengths of like, it helps have good discourse because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like, oh, those are the right people. Those are the wrong people. And it's just yeah. like A, B. And then you get, to, you get to think about these two positions side by side or side B and Y. Okay, what are the differences? How do we think about these? And some would say that itself is a, a a bad or a dangerous thing. You need to be able to explicitly say that's the heretical position. And it, and my brief response would be, I think there's times to say, explain neutrally what the side A perspective is. And mm-hmm. then you can say whether you think it is the best thing ever or whether it is heretical. Yeah. I mentioned that as a critique of the, the two sides of the same coin, basically. I I tend to think it's good to have relatively neutral language in communicating with in ideological opponents, right? But that doesn't mean, <laughs> that does not mean that you may not have strong evaluative opinions more generally, right? And you may, for example, you may not say, well, I think side A is heterodox, or I think side A is heretical, or side A person may say, I think side B is like life denying, or like whatever whatever ideas you have. You can have those, but when you're communicating with someone who's trying to have real nuanced, charitable conversations, I think neutral language is helpful. Relatively neutral language is helpful. You can't so, just keep, keep saying, well, the heretic says, well, the heretic I know. says. <laughs> that's not going <laughs> to, that's not going to build a bridge of charity and understanding. <laughs> okay. What, what's a, I like your, your next idea that you had talked about of an alternative to Letters, yeah, here's, side letters. Here's an yeah, here's another real alternative to the letters, the sides letters system. I was thinking, well, maybe we should draw on how Christian theological movements have often named their position or their group. So for example, naming it after a prominent leader from a theological perspective. For example, Calvinism, Arianism, Molinism, Christianity even, <laughs> Jesuits, Mennonites. Like would we call ourselves Wesleyites because Wesley Hill is a somewhat prominent theologian in our in our our Hillites or something? And sometimes movement. this even happens a little bit naturally within the side B world that mm-hmm. you have various authors. You have Bridget Eileen yeah. who's wrote, written a book, mm-hmm. and Greg Johnson, and they both are telling certain histories and stories, and but they have different sensibilities. And so they're like, oh, yeah. are you more of a Bridget Eileen side B or a more Greg Johnson side B? Anyway, so and there's something it, true. It, to, it there's something of, true to that. Those are real kind of phenomena of sensibilities. Like people are different in that way. Another one, Friends of Allred, who is kind of a, you might say a patron saint or something of our movement, the spiritual friendship movement. That could be a question. I thought about it, and I actually don't like this naming system that much. So I like Christianity, but 
it's not my favorite way of naming. Anyways, another one is to name after particular places that were prominent in for Christian community or movement. For example, Cistercians, Carmelites, Anglicans. No, so Carmelites have to do with like Mount Carmel or something, right? Yeah, so, so, yeah, Anglicans are of Eng like Christians of England. Cistercians was a community, I think, it was named after a particular community in Europe, a, a community, right. and then the the monastic order took the name. So, another one is. What if we named after a sense of what we are theologically in contradistinction from others? And this one might be more possible. For example, some examples are Reformed, Catholic, Orthodox. A lot of communities name themselves in this way to distinguish themselves from others, kind of what they see as a key good. Another example could be traditional, biblical, historical. I think we basically already do this in some ways as a secondary way of categorizing ourselves. For example, sometimes you might say, I follow historic ethic. I'm a traditionalist. All those things are kind of in the mix versus I'm maybe progressive or revisionist. I don't love this one because it it can be binary and it can be more exclusive. It's more more evaluative. It's less neutral. But I mean, I sometimes use I, I sometimes use I'm a tradition. I have the traditional sexual ethic or I have the historical sexual ethic, and I feel fine with that. I'm happy with that. But that could be one other way of naming ourselves rather than the sides language. I'm not sure if it improves that much, but it is an alternative. Mm -hmm. So, and in the reformed world, there's sometimes what's called people who are like, "Oh, but are you truly reformed?" And they have a, yeah. a more narrow view of what that is versus yeah. those who have more of a broad reformed kind of sensibility. And um, right now, I think there is more acceptance in the side B world of like, "Yeah, side B is really has is pretty able to is able to be described more." But maybe in the future, there will be disagreements of what's truly side B versus yeah. just the kind of open-handed way. And in my opinion, that's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just, yeah, we'll see how it develops as of now. A final one is what if we named ourselves after theological positions? For example, if you said Chalcedonian Christian or Tuahado Ethiopian Orthodox, these names, these terms are after particular Theological positions about how in Christ his natures relate. Like I'm Chalcedonian or I'm Tuahado. That could that's a very particular position that are from a location, Chalcedon, and Tuahado is an Ethiopian, is I think a, a Giz word about how the two things relate, the Christ's natures relate. That's another theological one that we could maybe talk about. I consider maybe the school of spiritual friendship, but yeah. I'm not sure. That's just another possibility. I'm not sure. It doesn't quite like sparkle for me, but it's there. <laughs> a final alternative I've heard is use things that are symbolic and not typically meant to enumerate, but have no precise connection. For example, we are the bees, which the bees, if you don't know, is a meme symbol for side B. We can also say col shapes, colors, I guess, like we are yellows or we're triangles or something. Of course, many movements in the world use colors like Thailand, red shirts versus yellow shirts to have a political designation. Also in, Af in the African continent, many political parties use colors to distinguish themselves. Sports teams sometimes use anim often use animals as mascots. I'm not looking heard this forward to going to a, a side B conference and everybody wearing the right color. To I know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard this much, but it's I've heard I have heard it as an alternative perspective for how to change the sides framework to these these symbolic things that are not directly that are even more neutral and yeah i guess even more neutral 
in, in some ways, yeah, as I said before, I don't want to create language that fuels animosity. And so there could be an argument that say, well, we can set ourselves up better for, you know, loving others, enemy love and such. But I think sides is neutral enough. Yeah. Well, my question is, I have a two questions, but my first one is, so from that brief description of some of the strengths and maybe possible limits and potentially possible alternatives, what is like sparking for you, David Frank? Like, would you see sides as sufficiently useful for our moment? Is there any alternative which really seems possible to you? Like, what are you thinking about all of this stuff? I think sides is sufficiently useful. And I do think mm -hmm. recognizing various thought leaders as a way to kind of qualify that further. I'm obviously most familiar with the side B world, but we kind of do that. Oh, side Y are folks like Rosaria Butterfield. Side A includes people like Justin Lee or mm -hmm. what's a... Giacomo San Filippo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, there's a specific one. I'm Matt Vines. Matt Matthew Vines. Vines. Matthew yeah. Vines. And Matthew Vines has a distinctively different version of side A sensibilities than some than other I don't have a name on mind, but some other side A folk and some of those are different enough that they are even identifying, oh, I'm actually not really side A. There's one blogger who said I'm side O. Uh TJ and I have begun to call the position side A A of a a type of sex positivity that is quote yes, unquote sex positivity. <laughs> that is just about consensual, loving, caring, sexual relationships, really, you know, as long as it's given the intention and the care, then it can happen anywhere. It has nothing to do with covenant. It has nothing to do with marriage or monogamy. And that that is such a radical departure from the kind of more historic Matthew Vines type of side A. Mm. That it is worth a, a different description. Yeah. So, so for example, from our from our guests thus far, Giacomo San Filippo would be side A because he's still well, he's open to same sex marriage and same sex sex. He's opposed to polygamy. That comes very clearly to him. Clearly, if you listen to the, his conversation, whereas our friend Reverend yeah Reverend Tyler Sit is at the very least more friendly to side A A and wouldn't rule that yeah. out if yeah. not outright would say as long as people are being caring then uh sex can happen anywhere anytime it's not limited to some type of monogamous covenant let alone mm -hmm. a heterosexual one and also they I, I think it's clear but it's not limited to monogamy it's not limited to marriage itself when i talked with him i understood him as saying that he'd be okay with people being sexually engaged outside like that's not something to repent of outside of marriage and also of course as you said not not heterosexual so mm -hmm. all those things are kind of and so theory. even there might be tyler sit may be more and for people who are advocating one night sexual you know one night stands is kind of what they're called but he might be more hesitant to, to that than some other side a people who are like as long as it's consensual and loving and you know yourself then go for it but they're still overall in this side aa category sure yeah i get that yeah so you shared that you're kind of oh, yeah. so in that way i am finding it useful and sufficient to start at least just it's kind of keeping a bullet point list of different different 
frameworks that people are using and being able to recall that in conversation and, oh, how have you seen that develop over here? What are the impacts of that? How are people coming to those conclusions of those different sides? Mm. I I think it's helpful to have those different thought leaders that can kind of qualify it and flavor those. But I'm not interested in it becoming, you know, I'm a Presbyterian and a Mennonite. So I sometimes half-jokingly say I'm a a Presbyterian or a Mennonite. And those connect me with, you know, like this is a very focused and important conversation on sexuality for sure. But it's kind of a narrow thing. Like we're not talking about the divinity of Christ or how, how to like all these other parts of living out the Christian life and following Jesus. And so the the Reformed camp, the the Mennonite community are bigger communities that are still under the most important umbrella of we are followers of Jesus. And so I'm not interested in them taking on more robust of characters, though I like the idea a little bit of like, oh, it'd be kind of fun if it was like named after someone, but that can overly focus a person in and then really they terminated after someone. No, I know. I'm saying in the side B world. I see, yeah, yeah. That like, you know, it's like ah, we don't really need to put Wesley Hill too much up on a pedestal. And and I do feel yeah. a little funny of, of like, oh yeah, Mennonites were named after Menno Simons, and mm-hmm. it's a little weird. But it also can bring certain personality or character into a a community. It can have its strengths. It can kind of go bad. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. But yeah, as a theological position. Well, I mean, did you see any of the other alternatives as like a real alternative to the sides language that would be notably better? As you said, we are already using things like describing people's theological, biblical approaches as more traditionalist or revisionist or progressive. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, those can be, I think those are still useful adjectives at times to mm-hmm. describe what's happening, but they they have their limits and it's not as easy because you go between b y and x all who are holding on to the historic traditional sexual ethic that sex is for marriage as mm-hmm. defined by a man and woman coming together in a one flesh union and they're all in that way how do you distinguish traditional. It? Yeah, yeah they're all traditional and yet there's some important differences in their sensibilities so it's at times i do actually want to diminish those differences of like i know you do (laughs) like we're all holding we're we're not changing our sexual mores here so don't freak out but to actually start nuancing out of like oh why are they uncomfortable well people on the sidewise school of thought uh they may not call it themselves but here's a group of thinkers that have these types of concerns We've we've recognized a, a trend, a certain perspective, and we've named it. And it's just, it's it is insider language. Some people, if you've made it this far, I wouldn't be surprised if you made it this far. And we're like, this is all confusing. This is all pedantic. How annoying! I get it. If you are not in the full world of philosophy, you would be like continental philosophy, analytic philosophy. It's all about mm-hmm. thinking and ideas, right? Well, as you dig into the ideas, these there's there's histories, there's movements, there's methodologies. And I'll tell you, they're very different too. Continental yeah. analytic, like they're extremely different. But yeah, but that's just jargon to an outsider. It is. And if yep. you're not interested in those conversations, it's going to bore you. 
Yeah, that's true. Let me ask you a final question before we wrap up. I, there is also this this idea that perhaps what we should instead do, it'd be better, or basically it'd be better if we just say, I'm a gay or queer Christian, and then made someone ask questions about our way of life, our theology, our sexual ethics. Like, how does that, what is that, how does that hit you as a possible better alternative compared to the sides framework as a way of engaging mm -hmm. the conversation? It's, it's so hard to speak to this because every cultural community, even within the U.S., just receives these words very differently. So mm -hmm. when you say, I'm a gay or queer Christian, for some people, that says very little. For some people, that automatically implies that you have created a new type of Christianity. Mm -hmm. And and you, you could say, well, that's wrong of them for to assume that, and they should follow ask follow-up questions. But I just... I don't think I, I can make such blanket statements across different cultures. We should be trying to speak the own, like, you know, indigenous, you know, vernacular of wherever we go. If I am in Minneapolis, I will speak differently than if I'm, you know, go to, I'm assuming, you know, a small town in Kentucky that mm -hmm. I will have to ask my questions about how they think about things. Mm -hmm. And realize that the nuance that I would want people to ask questions about would probably never happen. Mm. And that's to fault them. Yeah. Do I wish like generally all people or all Christians were more like TJ and just really great at asking questions and being nuanced. <laughs> it's like, well, not everybody is, you know, is poised in the world to just be so curious and thoughtful and nuanced. So That'd be cool. It's a it's something that we can encourage in our communities generally that like when you hear someone is Catholic, if you are a Protestant who disagrees with certain things of Catholicism, rather than just jumping to the, the things you know you disagree with, how can you ask some questions? How mm -hmm. can you ask why they're Catholic or what parts of Catholicism are important to them or really mm -hmm. shape their life? And and shape how they follow Jesus. What I'm understanding is this, we shouldn't expect this to be easily feasible. This sort of, just say I'm gay, at least as now, I'm gay, queer, Christian, and have someone ask about, oh, what does that mean for you? Why are you doing this? In sort of a general way. It could, hmm. be, it could be possible in specific small communities or groups or something. I mean, but it's not the normal way. Uh, Steiger Ministries, who focuses on kind of the global youth movement, would generally discourage initial conversations even using the word Christian okay. because it, they think it communicates better if you say I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't know if they're that specific, but they're just towards that like realize that really just religious words can be instant turnoffs, can instantly, you know, you might be the most, you know, religious high church, you know, Catholic or something and and that can come up in just like initial conversations with people, emphasizing mm -hmm. the God whom you are following, the Savior whom you love, and making it personal in those ways is going to be communicating and getting to where you want to go in a conversation better mm -hmm. than if you're just using these identity categories that you don't know what how they associate what they associate with that identity label. So I don't. If we can't be doing that even with Christian when talking to non-believers, I'm not presumptuous to think that I can do that with gay or queer with people who aren't readily in that conversation. So the 
Well, this is this in contrast to the sides framework. So do you think this sort of perspective is better than the sides framework or worse? Well, I, I just recognize that the sides framework is, is going to be primarily an insider mm-hmm. community language. And for mm-hmm. those who are interested in starting to learn things and discern things, then they should learn it. You know, as someone mm-hmm. is getting more involved in conversations on queer sexuality in Christianity, they will have to encounter this and learn it. And that's mm-hmm. fine. But that's not going to be, I'm not going to be able to use it without explanation. Okay. So I guess I would say, I, I would actually say, whatever words you use, you're going to have to explain them. If you just say, I'm a gay Christian. So I actually do think you should probably add on like some type of qualifier there. Wesley Hill adds on the word celibate. I might use side B and then explain that it means a theological position. One's emphasizing mm-hmm. your practice. One's emphasizing the kind of theological position you hold. Technically, you could be a non-celibate side B person and it's just because yeah. you're not faithful to what you believe. So I I think it would be better if we could, if we lived in a world where you could mm-hmm. not say very much and people would just ask you what you believe or what you're practicing or something. But I think it, that that isn't yeah feasible or practical. And it, Got it. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this episode. We hope that you've made it to this point at the end. Let's let the conversation continue about this framework. Is it the best way to talk about the theological position that categorize us? And if you have an alternative, what are the real alternatives? Like what are the real alternatives that could be possible for this if we should change the language? Or if like me, you think the language is generally fine and it's good to continue moving forward with this framework as of now. So let's keep the conversation going. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Hey, listeners. I want to let you know about the Communion and Shalom Patreon. Joining the Patreon community not only supports this podcast, but gives you the opportunity to listen to bonus content, give input on future episodes, and submit questions for a patron-only Q&A. We're so thankful for the support and encouragement from so many listeners, and we hope that this podcast continues to be meaningful to you.